Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2013 Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. We all believe that God is awesome, and yet I talked to, talk to 50 people out here tonight who have problems in their life, who are sick, who are fighting things. If God is awesome, Satan can't stop God. How come we aren't seeing greater manifestation of God in our life? If we believe that God is all is great, why is it that so many people struggle with depression and discouragement and financial problems and physical problems and all of these things? Why does this happen? Well, there's probably a multitude of answers to that. Let me just give you a portion of this over in Galatians chapter 5. I want to start here and then I'm going to go somewhere else. But in Galatians chapter 5, it's a tremendous book by the Apostle Paul. He was writing to people who at one time started out in the grace of God, but then after they had experienced true salvation and were really enjoying the presence of God, they got into religion. Religious Jews heard that the Galatians had received salvation and they were Gentiles and these Jewish Christians, they quote unquote Christians, begin to start coming in and saying, well, it's good that you accepted Jesus, but you also have to keep all of the Jewish laws. You have to keep the feast. You have to observe the Sabbath. You have to do all of these things. And they begin to say that Jesus wasn't all that there was is to it. You've also got to be holy in order to earn God's favor. And the book of Galatians was written by the apostle Paul to counter this. And I mean, he just starts off brutal in the very first chapter. He starts saying, if anybody comes and preaches another gospel to you, which I have not preached, let him be accursed. And in case somebody thought he couldn't mean what he said, he says, again, I say, if they preach any other gospel unto you than that which I have preached, let him be accursed. If the apostle Paul was here in our religious system today, now I am not against church. You know, I, uh, John over here has got a church that I know of. There were many other pastors, Pastor Barry Burns here. I believe in church. I believe that God established the church. So I am not against church, but I am saying that probably a majority of religious churches today are doing as much damage as they are good. They're preaching things wrong. It has been corrupted. And if Paul was to come into our situation today, I guarantee you the apostle Paul would be saying that this church is a curse because they're preaching heresy. The gospel, what people call a gospel today is not the same gospel that was delivered unto the church. It has been corrupted over a period of time. You know, I was thinking today that here we are in Philadelphia where they wrote the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution and all of these things. And you know what? They established something that I believe is one of the greatest nations, one of the greatest uh, guiding principles that was ever written for mankind. It started right here. But if those founding fathers could come back and see what is being done today, they would say, you are accursed. It's terrible the things that have happened. Just because it starts right doesn't mean it's going to stay right. God established the church and I am for the church. I'm not against the godly church, but there are a lot of ungodly people that are misrepresenting God. And Paul right here in the book of Galatians is countering some of those things. And I want to read just a portion of some of these scriptures in chapter 5. I, I wish I had time to teach the whole book of Galatians, but it would take me weeks 
It is awesome. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. This phrase, yoke of bondage, is a term that he uses in this book to refer to the law, the Old Testament law, serving God according to the Ten Commandments. Thank you for that thunderous silence. <laughs> it's a yoke of bondage. God didn't intend us to live under that. I know some of you right here just think I'm a heretic, but if you were to study this, this is exactly what he's talking about. And he says, don't become entangled again with this mindset that you've got to keep all of these rules and regulations to have God love you. And he said in verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, the word circumcision here, of course, is everybody understands what that's talking about, but that was just one of the Jewish rituals that was commanded. This is basically just talking about if you believe you have to keep all of these ordinances and these laws, the feast days, the Sabbath days, all of these holy days, the dietary laws, all of these kind of things. He's just talking about the law. If you, you could read it this way, I say unto you that if you have to adhere to all of these laws, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, the reason I'm bringing this out is to say we were here singing about how awesome God is and He's all of these great things and everybody says God is awesome and yet in your own life, most of us are experiencing problems and it seems like Christ didn't have any effect. You pray and pray and pray and you don't see something happen and we wonder, God, what's going on? I'm telling you that this is probably the main reason right here. One of the biggest reasons is that we have gone back under the law. We are thinking that we have to perform and become worthy in order to receive the goodness of God. We don't doubt God's goodness. We just doubt that God would give it to us because we're so unworthy. And that's wrong. You know, Daniel talked about this when he was leading praise and worship, that God loves us. There's nothing we can do to make him love us more. There's nothing we can do to make him love us less. God loves you because he is love and not because you are lovely. He just loves you because he chose to love you. You don't deserve God's love. But see, the religious church is teaching that, oh yeah, God can heal, but what makes, he think you, what makes you think he would heal you, you unworthy thing? You know, again, I refer to the fact that most of you that are out here on a Saturday night listening to a hick from Texas, you have got to be a fanatic. You believe in the miraculous power of God. You believe in the healing power of God. And I've seen multiple people raised from the dead, including, including my own son after he was dead for five hours. They called me and I prayed and he came back to life with no brain damage, no more than he had before. <laughs> and today we've got a granddaughter who was born a year later that we wouldn't have had. I believe in the miraculous power of God and I'm sure that you do or you wouldn't be in here. So you believe that God can heal. You believe God can raise people from the dead. If somebody was to fall over dead right here tonight, and if I said, how many of you believe God can raise them from the dead? Most of you would be right there with me. But you know where I could lose most of you is I say, all right, if you believe it, you come down here and pray for them. Now, some of you, 
have renewed your mind enough that, yeah, you do it. But you know what? 90% of you in here, you don't doubt that God can do it. You don't doubt that God might do it through me. So you believe in all of that. But when I say you come pray for him, all of a sudden your faith turns to fear. Your excitement turns to dread. Now what happened? Did you think that God changed? What happened? Why is it all of a sudden your faith turns to fear? It's not because you doubt God has the ability. It's because we've been taught that God only releases His ability, His power through people who have deserved it, who are worthy. You have to earn it. You have to be holy. And that's wrong. That's what he's talking about here. Christ becomes of no effect unto you when you think that you have to observe all of these rules. You can't go to a doctor. You can't wear glasses. You can't talk to anybody outside of the church. It wasn't God who was dead and Craig and Caroline's family. It was God who was fine, but it was them making Christ of none effect because they inserted themselves and their own holiness into this thing. I'm telling you, the moment you make yourself and think that, oh God, I believe that you can move today, but I've got to be holy before you'll use me. You have just exempted yourself from ever being used by God. And some of you are thinking, well, you don't know how holy I am. <laughs> well, you don't know how holy God is. And I'm just telling you, I've lived holier than most of you have ever even thought about living. I'm not saying that to brag on myself. I'm saying I was raised in a religious system that I've never said a word of profanity in my 64 years. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never even tasted coffee in 64 years. How many of you can say that? Am I saying that coffee and booze are the same thing? No, <laughs> somebody said, yeah, you got a scripture to stand on for drinking coffee. In Mark chapter 16, verse 18, it says, you can drink any deadly thing and it shall not harm you, amen. I'm not against coffee. I'm just saying I've lived holier than most people have ever thought about living and I can guarantee you that my conscience always condemned me and it always made me feel like I could have done more. I remember one time I actually got up and I got up early in the morning and I read every word of the New Testament from Mark all the way through Revelation in one day. I spent like, I think it was 15 and a half hours and I read all from Mark all the way through Revelation and I was so pleased with myself thinking, man, God, surely this is going to grant me some pull. There's got to be something in this for me and I was praying right before I went to bed and just feeling really good about how holy I'd been. And did you know the thought came to me? You, you studied the Word for 15 and a half hours, but you were up 16. You wasted 30 minutes. And I went to bed discouraged, thinking, oh God, I could have done more. I could, you know... When you are trying to serve God in your own strength, I can guarantee you, you'll never do enough. It's impossible to do enough. I've lived better than most of you and it wasn't enough. Some of you have this goal in front of you that, oh, if I could just do this and this and this, I've done what you're trying to do and it wasn't enough. It'll never be enough. Your conscience is always gonna smite you. 
You do not deserve the goodness of God. You do not deserve to have God love you and flow in your life and answer your prayers. And if you are trying to base God loving you on yourself, that's what Paul is writing about. And Christ is profiting you nothing, not because you don't, you don't doubt God, you doubt His willingness to release His power in your life because you know you don't deserve it. And I've got good news for you. The good news is that God doesn't give you what you deserve. Amen. He sent Jesus for us. Jesus died for your sin. Jesus paid for everything. And now you can pray in the name of Jesus. When you say, Father, in the name of Jesus, when you end your prayer and say, in the name of Jesus, amen, what you're supposed to be saying is, Father, not because of any righteousness, any worth, on my own, not because I've lived holy, but because of what Jesus did for me, I expect to receive. But if you list all of your goodness and say, God, I've been fasting and praying and studying the Word and I go to church and I pay my tithes and God, I'm being as good as I can be. Heal me in the name of Jesus. You just took the name of Jesus in vain. You may have never sworn and cursed in the name of Jesus, but if you pray and your faith is in yourself and you end your prayer within the name of Jesus, you have taken the name of Jesus in vain. That's a strong statement. Just, you know, that's not any stronger than saying if he preach another gospel, let him be accursed. I'm telling you the truth. This is what he's saying in the next verse, in verse three, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised. You could say to every man who is trusting in their performance, in their adherence to all of these rules and statues, that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. This isn't talking about that you've lost your salvation. It's just saying that you've stepped out of grace. You aren't receiving from God based on what Jesus has done. You're trying to receive from God based on your own goodness. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you that this is the, the plague that is just at epidemic proportions in the body of Christ today. The church as a whole, not all churches, there's some great churches, but the church as a whole, I believe over 50% of all of the churches are preaching that if you don't do this and this and this and this, God won't bless you. If you have sickness in your body, it's just like Caroline was saying, she thought that maybe it was God that was plaguing her every time somebody got sick, that it was God judging her. And I can guarantee you that's what the vast majority of people sitting right here, and again, you're the fanatics. And yet even the fanatics, the majority of us, if something isn't working, immediately we think, oh, it's because I haven't done enough. If I could just do more, if I could study the Word a little bit more, if I could pray harder, if I could pray louder, if I can get more people to agree with me, maybe we can force God to do something. And I tell you, that is making Christ of none effect in our life. And I know many of you are thinking, well, I can see what you're saying, but what about all of these scriptures that say that we have to do all of these things? This is a big overstatement right now. I wish I had more time to explain this. I've got materials out there. I've got a tape set or a book entitled The True Nature of God that harmonizes the Old Testament and the New Testament and shows you why there are two separate covenants and what that was all about. I hadn't got time to go into the depth of that, but the Old Testament was not given so that you could keep all of those laws and thereby earn God's blessing. 
the purpose of the law was given to self-righteous people like I was who was trying to be so holy and earn God's favor that God raised the bar so high and gave such an impossible standard that it made you despair of ever trying to earn God's favor. And it just made you say, God, if this is what you expect, I can't do it. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That was the purpose of the law, was to drive you out of self-righteousness and make you cry out to God for mercy. But the church, one of the slickest deceptions that the devil has ever done is worm his way into a lot of the church and start preaching the Ten Commandments and saying you've got to do this in order for God to bless you. He has totally perverted and changed the purpose of the law. Again, I know some of the things I'm saying right here just sound like heresy to many of you. I've got teaching that'll verify it. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the strength of sin is the law. The law strengthened sin. It didn't strengthen you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, the law was a ministration of death. And you know, some people think, well, now wait a minute. When you're talking about the law, you're talking about the ceremonial law. And people divide the law into parts like the feast day, the day, the Passover, uh, wearing certain types of clothes, uh, eating certain types of food. All of the ceremonial law has been fulfilled in Christ, but the Ten Commandments still have to be adhered to. If you back up to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, it says, but the, or I guess that's verse 7, it says, but the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious. But then it goes on to say what we have is more glorious. The only part of the law that was written and engraven in stones was the Ten Commandments written on those tables of stones. And it calls it a ministration of death. In verse 9, 2 Corinthians 3, 9, it calls it a ministration of condemnation. And Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is now, therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. We aren't under that condemnation. It says in Romans chapter 7 that the law made sin come alive and revive and it killed us. Romans chapter 3 verse 19, the law gave knowledge of sin. It stopped our mouth. It made us guilty and it allowed Satan to overcome us. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. I think that's Romans chapter 6, verse 14 or 15. The law wasn't given to help you get to God. It was given to put such a huge barrier in between you and God that it would make you cry out to Him for help because you could never overcome it. And if you use the law for that purpose, that's good. If you want to tell people that you can't save yourself, that nobody is holy enough, your good will never outweigh your bad. If you've got one tiny thing wrong in your life, you go directly to hell and not to heaven. And if you want to use the law to make that point, then that's the proper use of the law. But to use the law for believers is wrong. I know some of you are just thinking I'm a heretic, but... Let me share this verse with you out of 1 Timothy chapter 1 in verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity, God's kind of love, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. From which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. This is King James English, but this just means that they're just 
mouthing off. They're just talking. They, they aren't doing anything. They're just saying senseless, uh, unintelligible things. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And the people who are preaching that you have to be holy before God will move in your life. People don't know what they're saying. Somebody said, well, yes, they do. No, they don't because the Bible says, James chapter 2, verse 10, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of all. So if people are going to preach that you've got to be holy or God won't love you, God won't bless you, God won't move in your life, if you are preaching that, nobody can live up to that because if you miss it in one point, you know, Jesus said to obey the laws of the land. Romans chapter 13. What are the laws of the land? Well, some of them are. You can't go 55 is the speed limit. How many of you break the speed limit? If you go 56 in a 55 mile an hour zone, you become guilty of all. It doesn't, you know, God doesn't have 10,000 different commandments. It's like a pane of glass. A pane of glass is made out of sand, you know, that's been heated and different things. There's, there's thousands and thousands of pieces of, of elements in it, but it makes one pane of glass. If I had a glass across here in between me and you, it might be made up of millions of different particles, but it becomes one glass. And if you, if you break it, if you shoot a bullet through it or drive a truck through it, it's broken. The whole thing has to be replaced. God's law is like that. If you don't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do, it doesn't matter. But if you're angry at me right now for what I'm saying, you broke the law and you're guilty of murder and adultery and everything else. You know, the people who sit there and say that you got to be holy, you got to be holy. I've countered them before and I've said, so are you holy? And, well, yes, I'm holy. Well, do you ever have anything wrong? Do, and they'll always sit there and say, well, I'm not perfect. But, and then what they start doing is comparing themselves with other people. I may not be perfect, but I'm, I'm better than this Pharisee. I mean, this publican over here, I fast twice in the week. I pay tithes of mint, anise, and cumin. And they get into the Pharisee syndrome, comparing themselves among themselves, which the Bible says is not wise. Anybody who is preaching that you've got to be holy would be the very first one to admit that they aren't perfect. And the Bible says if you aren't perfect, then you need a Savior. And if you have a Savior, then you get it through what He did and not through what you did. Some people think, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm 95% good. I only need God for 5%. You know what that is? That's self-righteousness. And that is the worst sin of all. That is worse than homosexuality, adultery, murder, everything combined. Because the self-righteous person is saying, I don't need Jesus. Or I just need a tiny bit of Jesus. I'm so good that I'm nearly in his class. That is a slap in the face of God. The Bible says that Jesus died for the ungodly. Unless you're willing to admit you're ungodly, you don't qualify. You got to come to the end of yourself. And you know, the only people who get mad at what I'm saying are religious people who have been taught that you've got to be holy and they only teach a conditional holiness, a relative holiness, you know, compared to other people. 
I mean, they'll sit there and tell the women that they got to wear their sleeves down to their wrist and their dress all the way down to the floor and they got to pile their hair up and not put on makeup. And, and that's not, that's stupid. Forgive me for just being blunt. <laughs> Did you know that the Bible talks about being modest? You know what the word modest means? If you look it up in the Bible, the Greek word that was translated modest means moderate. That's where we get the word moderate from. It's the exact word. And you know what? When you are wearing these drab colors and you look, I mean, I've seen women before that had rosy cheeks, but they thought that that was ungodly and they would put on tons of powder to cover up their rosy cheeks. That's not moderate. If you're dressing like the 1700s thinking that you are glorifying God, you aren't moderate. You are breaking the commands. Somebody said, well, it says that you aren't supposed to plait your hair or put on gold or wear apparel, all these kind of things. Well, if you take that verse literally out of 2 Peter chapter 3, it says you aren't supposed to plait your hair or wear gold or put on apparel. If you're going to take that scripture literally, this means you can't wear clothes. That's not saying that it forbids them. It just says, don't make that the emphasis. Let it be the hidden man of the heart. You're out, you know, if your barn needs painting, paint it, praise God. <laughs> and if it needs two coats, give it two coats. Who cares? But just don't make the emphasis the outside. Don't make it all about this glitz and stuff. Let it be your heart, your spirit, your attitude that really glorifies God's what he's talking about. So anyway, I got off on that, that those that teach the law don't know what they're saying. They don't keep the law, and so they are guilty. They've preached themselves right into a corner. There is no way that they can have a relationship with God. In verse 8, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. There is a right use for the law to show a person their sin, to drive them to their knees, and to get them out of self-righteousness. And it says in verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but the lawless, the disobedient, and list all of these things. Who is a righteous man or woman? Any person who has been born again, you become the righteousness of God in him. Romans chapter 5, verses 15 through 21 and 2 Corinthians 5, 21. So many scriptures say that. You become the righteousness of God. The law is not made for a righteous man. The law is made for a sinner to show them that they can't save themselves that God has condemned us all. We're all guilty of death and it's to bring you to the end of yourself so that you will call out and say, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you use the law for that purpose, it's good. If you use it for a righteous man or a woman, a person who is born again to tell them that God won't bless you until you come to church, unless you pay your tithes, unless you study the word, unless you live holy, unless you do this and this and this, God won't bless you. It, you are misusing the law. It was not made for us. The majority of people in here are probably Gentiles. And Romans chapter 3 says that the law... Whatever the law says, it was given to those who are under the law that all the world may become guilty. Did you know that the law was never intended to be given to the Gentiles? It's one of the great mistakes in the body of Christ that the church has embraced the Old Testament law and taught the Old Covenant in place of the New Covenant. 
And I know some of you are thinking, oh man, you're just telling people to go live in sin. You're giving people a license to sin. It's not so. You know, I'm glad God called me to preach this gospel because anybody who wants to say that I'm preaching on grace so that people can go live in sin, I dare you to, you know, look at my life. I'm not living in sin. I'm living holier than most of you. The grace of God did not cause me to go live in sin. I am not preaching this to cover up some terrible hidden thing going on in my life. Second, uh, second chapter of Titus, chapter 2, verse 11, says the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly and righteously in this present evil world. Grace teaches people to live for God. I'm living holier than most people because of grace, not because of fear of God's punishment. Love is a stronger motivating force than fear. Fear has torment. And when people say, if you tell people that God loves them, even when they mess up, that just frees them to go live in sin. You're giving them a license to sin. Man, people are doing pretty good sinning without a license, amen. <laughs> Grace doesn't set people, to, set people free to sin. It sets you free from sin. It sets you free from the guilt and condemnation. And the love of God will capture your heart and draw you to God greater than legalism and fear ever did. Amen. This gospel of the grace of God is what will draw the world to Jesus. But the church has been preaching the wrath of God. They'll say, you're a sinner. You're going to hell. Repent or else. Turn or burn. And then they'll say, that's the gospel. That's not the gospel. The word gospel means good news. It literally means too good to be true news. It's over the top. It's a superlative. I can guarantee you it's true that if people don't believe on Jesus, they're going to go to hell, but that's not good news. It's not good news to say that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not good news to say that Jesus died for our sins. All of those things are true. And I believe that that's true. But you know what the good news is? It says it in, Rome, in uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. It says the gospel, that is the grace of Christ. It's talking specifically about how you receive what Jesus did. Saying that Jesus died for your sins isn't the gospel. But saying that Jesus died for your sins... And all you have to do is receive it as a gift by faith. You don't have to earn it. That's the gospel. It's talking about how you receive it. If you tell people, oh yeah, God can forgive you and you can go to heaven, but if you get there, it's going to be because you are holy and you're going to have to cut your hair and you're going to have to start wearing a long dress and you're going to have to do this and unless you do this and if you ever mess up, you lose your salvation and stuff. If you start telling people that, that's not the gospel. That's bad news. You know, if I had the money that I could just deposit a million dollars in your bank account, and I, I deposited a million dollars in your bank account, and I said, it's yours. One year from now, I will make that yours. Take all restrictions off of it, but for one year, you've got to live holy. And if I was like God so that I knew your thoughts, not only your actions, but your thoughts, 
And I said, I'm going to be watching. <laughs> and I'm going, to, I'm going to monitor your thoughts, not only your actions, but even your thoughts. And if you lust in your heart, it's the same as if you commit adultery. If you get angry at somebody, it's the same as if you murdered. And if I was to dangle this million dollar reward in front of you, but put a caveat on it and say, you've got to be holy for one year. Some of you would think, I can do it for a million dollars. And you'd try, but I guarantee you, every person in here would fail. Every person would fail. There's not a single person that can live without doing something wrong for a year. And instead of being blessed by this, you would become angry at me. Like, why did you even offer it? You knew I couldn't do it. (laughs) And you would become mad and you would resent me, the fact that I even dangled this thing in front of you, knowing that you couldn't do it. And then if I was to go to the person next to you and say, well, then I'll offer it to you. One year from today, I'll give you a million dollars if you can live without sin. You know what you would do? You would intervene and say, don't take it. Don't try it. Save yourself the problems. You aren't going to make it and it'll just cause discouragement and stuff. And you would start fighting against it. Did you know that this is exactly what's happening in our society today? Because the church has misrepresented God thinking, oh yeah, there's a God. And yeah, Jesus is the son of God. And yes, there's good things available, but you've got to be holy. And if you aren't holy, God won't bless you. And people have tried it and they failed, and now they're upset. And when somebody comes along preaching this American gospel that, oh yeah, you can have these things if you'll be holy, well then we've got all of these people who've been burnt by religion who are fighting against it and and trying to condemn it and speak against it because they've been condemned and they know that nobody can live up to this standard. Man, that's an awesome statement that I've made right there. This is really what's hindering a lot of people. I'm telling you that that is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus paid it all because you couldn't pay it. He paid it all. He didn't just pay a certain percentage and then you've got to make up the difference with your goodness. Jesus paid it all. And you know, one of the things that changed my life was I I came to this realization that I was unworthy and that I could never obtain unto God's blessing based on my own goodness. But I didn't stop there. And what changed me was I realized that when I made Jesus my Lord, He didn't just wipe out my past sins. And, you know, in a sense, this is what some people think that He does, that He kind of takes you picks you up, dusts you off, winds you up, points you in the right direction and says, now see if you can get it right. (laughs) He gives you a second chance. People will say, man, God is the God of a second chance. He he forgave me of my sins and he's now given me a second chance. That's not what salvation is. If all it was was a second chance, you'd blow the second chance just as much (laughs) as you blew the first chance. That's not salvation. But when you got saved, the Lord literally took away your sin. You know, when I, was, when I was growing up in the Baptist church, they used to take a two-by-four and drive nails in it. And they say, these nails are your sins. And all of us were sinners. And then Jesus come and he died for your sin. And they start pulling the nails and they pull the nails out. And they say, your sins are now forgiven 
But then they'd hold the two before up and they'd say, but you know what? The scars of the nail are still there. And you live the rest of your life scarred by all of your sin. I'm an old sinner saved by grace. <laughs> and that's what they taught. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible, it's more accurate to say that those nails are the sins and God, when you get born again, He takes that too before. Your spirit was the part of you that was defiled. Your body and your soul, your mind and emotions were also defiled, but your spirit is the part of you that was dead in trespasses and sins. Genesis chapter 3, the moment that Adam ate of the tree, it said he died. And yet he didn't die for 960 years in his body. But part of him died right then, and that was his spirit. His spirit became separated from God. It was your spirit that was stained and had these marks of sin. And when you got born again, God took your old dead spirit and threw it away with the sins and gave you a brand new spirit. And this new spirit, this new two before, doesn't have a mark on it. And plus, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, the moment you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So what that means is God took away this old spirit that was stained by sin and threw it away. It is dead, gone, and non-existent. He gave you a brand new nature that is identical to Jesus, and then he vacuum-packed it like this so that when you sin, sin enters into your body and it gives Satan an inroad against you physically. It can, it can uh, cause sickness to come. It can cause depression to come. It can cause, uh, you know, uh, poverty to come and all kinds of things like this. It can penetrate into your mind and it can cause you negative emotions and grief and sorrow. But that spirit, that new part of you is sealed and sin doesn't penetrate that seal. Even if you sin as a Christian, your body gets defiled and so therefore don't sin. As much as you can, don't sin. And when you do sin, be quick to repent and turn from it and take this cleansing that's in your spirit and flush your body and your mind with it. So don't give Satan place in your body. But the good news is that if you sin as a Christian, it does not change your spirit. Your spirit is sealed and it retains its righteousness and holiness. And John chapter 4, verse 24 says, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is looking at you in the spirit. The problem is you look at you in the mirror <laughs> and you see yourself and the Bible says that you're perfect and you look in the mirror and you think, this is perfect? And you see zits and bulges and gray hairs and wrinkles and ugly and you think, man, this is... This isn't God. And then you, you read the scripture. It says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things are become new. And you look in the mirror and you say, I just can't see it. And we think that the Bible is so hard to understand. That's because it's not talking about your body. Your body's not the part of you that got saved. And it's not talking about your mind. Your mind's not the part of you that got saved. You know, if you were a man before you got saved, you're still going to be a man after you get saved. If you were a woman before you got saved, you're still going to be a woman. If you were fat before you got saved, you're still going to be fat after you get saved. Did you know your body doesn't instantly change? 
It's been purchased. It's going to change, but it's not changed yet. Your mind doesn't instantly change. It says we only know in part and we prophesy in part. If you were stupid before you got saved, you're still going to be stupid after you get saved. Now you can change that. You can renew your mind, but that doesn't instantly change. But you have a spirit and your spirit, when you get born again, is totally, totally changed. Let me just use a couple of verses Man, I encourage you to get this teaching that I have entitled Spirit, Soul, and Body. It'll change your life. But look at these verses in Hebrews chapter 10. In verses 1 through 9, he's talking about that Jesus died and put his last will and testament into effect and then rose from the dead to enforce its uh, enforcement. That's pretty awesome. He's the only person that ever rose from the dead and enforced his own will. And then in verse 10, it says, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. Did you know that this is not what most people have been taught in religion today? Most people believe you were only forgiven up until the time you confessed your sin and got born again. And then every time you sin as a Christian, you've got to get that sin under the blood or God won't have anything to do with you. And there's two extremes on this. It, they're both the same thing, really. It just is one has a worse consequence than the other. It's like a stick. You know, it has two ends to it. And they're opposites, but they're really the same thing. They're part of the same stick. The Pentecostals will say that if you sin after you're a Christian, that you lose your salvation. And if you were to die before you got that sin confessed, you would go to hell even though you've been born again for 40 years. Some of the fundamentalist evangelicals, they don't preach that you lose your salvation every time they sin, but what they preach is you lose the benefits of your salvation. God won't give you joy. You can't have fellowship. You can't get a prayer answered. He won't use you. He won't bless you. It's the same thing, just with a lesser consequence. One says that every time you sin, you lose your salvation. The other one says every time you sin, you lose the benefits of your salvation, but you're still saved. It's a lesser consequence, but it's the same thing. But this is saying that through the offering of Jesus Christ, you were sanctified. The word sanctified means to make holy or to set apart through the offering of, the G- of Jesus Christ once for all. Once. And that's not for all people. Although it is true to say that Jesus' one sacrifice was for all people, but this is talking about once for all time. The context explains that. In the next verse it says, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice, which, is, which can never take away sin. What he's doing is contrasting. The Old Testament law, every time you sinned, you had to have a new offering a new sacrifice. But in the New Testament, there are five times in chapter 9 that he talked about once Jesus offered himself. And and up in verse uh, 12, it says, you have obtained eternal redemption. Not momentary redemption until the next time you sin, but eternal redemption. Five times he says that, and that's what he's referring to. So he's showing you the, the Old Testament priest offered a new sacrifice every time you sin. But in verse 12, but this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, 
See, this isn't talking about just one sacrifice for all men, but all, one sacrifice for all men forever, for all times. One sacrifice made you sanctified and perfect forever. In verse 13, it says, From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Verse 10 says you were sanctified by the offering of Jesus once for all. Verse 14 says if you were sanctified, you have been perfected forever. Perfect. Forever. Perfect. Perfect. And there are people right here in this auditorium struggling with this because you say, I'm not perfect. See, you know yourself in the physical. You know what your actions are and you know what your thoughts are and you know that you have discouragement and doubts and fears and you know yourself in this natural physical realm, but you don't know yourself in the spirit. You can't know the spirit just by feeling. The only way you can know the spirit is to take this Bible like a spiritual mirror and hold it up and just believe what you see in it. And this is saying that you have been sanctified and perfected forever. Not until the next time you sin and then you got to repent and get born again again. Get back in, you know, you backslid and now you got to get back to God. That's a religious doctrine. It's not in the Bible. Thank you for that one. That's right. I know that I'm saying a lot of things that counter so much of what we've been taught, but that doesn't mean I'm wrong. I'm sharing these things with you from Scripture. You've been sanctified and perfected forever. Look in chapter 12, and I'll prove to you that this is talking about your spirit. See, the reason people struggle with this is because they look in the mirror and they think, I'm not perfect. Man, I don't look perfect. I don't act perfect. You don't think perfect. And we think, how could this be? It's because there is another part of us, the spirit, which very few of us know who we are in Christ Jesus. And remember that God is a spirit. John 4, 24, and he looks at you in the spirit. God isn't looking at your physical. Now he knows what you're like. It's not that he doesn't know, but that's not how he relates to you. He relates to you based on who you are in the spirit. And when you get born again, you become a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new, and you are sanctified and perfected forever in the spirit. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit, and sin never penetrates that seal, and your spirit never fluctuates even if your holiness does. Man, that is awesome. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. And remember that the same person wrote Hebrews chapter 12. He didn't write this in chapters and verses. This was one letter. It's still in the same context. It's the same author who's writing this. And here's what he said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But you are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. This makes it very clear. It's not your physical body that's perfect. You are going to have to get a glorified body. This physical body will die. 
This physical body, unless Jesus comes back in my lifetime, it's going to have to go to the grave and it will be raised up someday. And I've got a promise of a glorified body, but I don't have it now. This is my earthly physical suit. And my soul is not saved. My soul has been purchased and I'm in the process of renewing my mind, which is soul salvation, and I'm, I'm getting better. I'm thinking more like Christ and things like that, but my soul isn't perfect. But my spirit has already been made perfect. I'm as perfect in my spirit as I will be a million years from tonight in eternity. My spirit is is as saved as it can get. It can't get any more saved. It's already got everything. And as it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, speaking of Jesus, so are we in this world. Not so are we going to be in the next world. So are we in this world. The only way to understand that is that it's talking about your spirit. Your body is not like him. It's subject to corruption. This mortal must put on immortality. This corruption must put on incorruption. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Your body isn't saved. Your soul's not saved. It's not like him. But your spirit is identical as Jesus is. So are you right this moment. If you're born again, your spirit is as pure as Jesus. You're as holy as Jesus. You have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 says that. Your spirit is perfect and if you are going to worship God and get to where Christ is having effect in your life, you must do it in spirit and in truth. You have to do it based on who you are in Christ and not on your physical actions, not on your own thought life. You have to do it based on who you are in the Spirit. And even if you've sinned, even if you've blown it, the Bible says, Hebrews 4, 16, that we let us come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need, not just when you've done everything right. But in the time of need, you can come boldly before God because in your spirit, you are still righteous. Your spirit was not contaminated by any of your sin or your failure. Man, this is nearly too good to be true news. And if you can understand what I'm saying, this doesn't set you free to say, oh man, I can go live in sin because my spirit's perfect. You ought to get born again. First <laughs> John chapter three says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. That's what I've been talking about tonight. That we should become, be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not because it knew him not. Verse two says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall see him, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. And then verse 3 says, Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. If you've received what I've said, and if you understand that God has totally transformed you, and you are sanctified and perfected forever, and you can't mess it up, you can't 
Because you can't lose your holiness. God is a spirit. If you understand this, it'll cause you to purify yourself, even as he is pure. It will not cause you to go live in sin. Anybody who wants to take what I'm saying as an excuse to go live in sin, your heart's never been changed. You're still a sinner by nature. You've not been changed. If you are born again, you want to live for God. Amen. You might not be doing a very good job of it because religion actually strengthens sin. The law strengthens sin, 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The law is, is death and condemnation. It brings, it causes sin to come alive. All those scriptures that I've already quoted. If you are under the law, you may be not living a very holy life, but if you were truly born again, you want to do it and you are now condemned over the very things that you used to go out and enjoy without any conviction. It's an evidence that you were born again. If you've truly been born again, you want to purify yourself. And so receiving the grace of God will not set you free to sin, but it'll set you free from the condemnation of sin, and you'll live holier accidentally than you ever have lived on purpose before. Amen. Isn't that good news? Man, praise God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Hallelujah. Man, this is good news. This is good news. Telling a person you're going to hell, that's not good news. But telling a person that you deserve to go to hell, but Jesus took your punishment and now you can become the righteousness of God by just simply believing and receiving. You don't have to earn it and you can't lose it. It's just the goodness of God. I tell you what, this will draw people to God. It'll cause a revival. We see it everywhere we go. People's lives are just transformed. You know, Jamie and I have stood out in front of the meeting last night and tonight and we had hundreds of people come by just with tears in their eyes. This has changed my life. This make, they say things like, this makes me love God more than I've ever loved Him. This makes me study the Word more than I've ever studied the Word. This makes me excited about the things of God. I had some people come up and say they've been born for 10, 12 years or something and they were real excited at first, but then they just got bland in their life and now the excitement's come back. It's like, man, they're in love with God again when they hear about the goodness of God. I tell you, when all of the burden is on your shoulders to live holy, and you have to make everything happen by your holiness, that will beat you up. There is no rest in that. There's no joy in that. Because even if you did good yesterday, and today, tomorrow is a new day, you could blow the whole thing. You'll never be able to rest. You'll never be able to take it easy. But man, when you understand that it's all Jesus, then you can rest. And you can say, thank you, Father, that even though I don't deserve it, I know that I have access to you through Jesus. You see me in Christ and you're pleased with me even when I'm not pleased with myself. Amen. You know, there's lots of times I get down on myself. I've had things happen just this last week that are really negative. I told Jamie, I said, I hate this stuff. I hate it. And I hate having to deal with this and then go minister at night. <laughs> I just don't like some of this stuff that I have to do. We've got a ministry all over the world. And we, 
I, one day, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had problems on three different continents. <laughs> People arguing and griping about this and that. And I just got them and I said, why don't we just love each other and get along? I hate dealing with some of this stuff. And you know what? I'm not good at it. I'm anointed to share the Word of God. God has given me an anointing, but you know what? I'm not anointed to be an administrator, and yet we've got $3 million a month that comes in, and we ha it takes business sense, and I'm not a businessman, and I get disappointed with myself. I get down on myself sometimes thinking, God, if I was you, I wouldn't have called me. I'm not equipped to do what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just hanging on to Jesus, and He makes me look good. Amen. But I don't know what I'm doing. And there's times that I get really down on myself. And you know how I'm able to look past that and still come and minute it because I know who I am in Christ. And I know that, Father, even though I'm not good in this area, even though this isn't a strength of mine, even though there's people that could do things so much better than I can do, man, I know who I am in you, and I know what you've called me to do, and I can just stand in who I am in Christ. I don't know how people that don't know this survive. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. But I'm telling you, this changed my life. And hopefully this will change your life. I know that I'm dealing with the traditions and doctrines of men. And some of you have heard the counter to what I've been saying tonight for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And I'm bumping up against a lot of indoctrination. But if you would just open up your heart and listen, I believe the Holy Spirit will bear witness with the truth and you can be set free. The truth will set you free. And I believe that God wants to revolutionize your life and let you start walking in the Spirit instead of walking in your own strength and in your own power. And it'll change your life. Hallelujah. Father, I just pray for every person in here right now, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would give revelation, supernatural revelation of what I've been talking about tonight, that you would bear witness. And I know that there's many questions that I didn't have time to answer. But Father, I believe that your Holy Spirit will help us to overcome our questions, our doubts, all of our indoctrination, the traditions of man that have made the Word of God of no effect. And Father, I believe that you're just doing a heart uh, a surgery on our hearts right now to change the way that we think and the way that we relate to this. I pray that people would receive this freedom that I've talked about and recognize what Jesus has done. Start basing our relationship on Jesus and not on ourselves. And Father, we thank you for that. We receive it in the name of Jesus. You know, let me ask you here tonight that if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I've been talking about two Christians, but in the process, I've made a lot of statements about what true salvation is. And there's a lot of people, there's probably people right here in this auditorium that because you believe that there's a God and you believe Jesus is the Son of God and you might even say that He's your Savior, you think that that makes you saved. You go to church and you think that makes you a Christian. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage and make you a car. 
If you're a car, you ought to get in the garage for your own protection. If you're a Christian, you ought to go to church to get edified and built up. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Believing that there's a God doesn't make you a Christian. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. If you believe that there's one God and you think that that's enough for salvation, you hadn't done anything the devil hadn't done. And the devil's not saved. What you have to do to be saved, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, you've got to do more than just say the words. You've got to confess him as Lord. That means you're making a commitment. You're turning your life over to him. You're trusting in him. It does, it's not a promise that you'll do it perfectly because you can't do it perfectly. I tried to make that point tonight, but you have to be willing to turn it over and to the best of your ability, let him rule your life. And when you mess up, you just say, Father, thank you that I'm forgiven and you keep going on. But your commitment is for him to be the Lord, the master of your life. And if you'll confess that with your mouth and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to humble yourself and quit trying to save yourself and make Jesus your savior. If you have never done that tonight, you need to do it. And you know, I think it would be, it's terrible for any person to go to hell, but for a person that's been here tonight and has heard me preach the gospel and talk about this and for you to go to hell is absolutely unnecessary. You could be born again tonight. And I don't care if you've been brought up in church. I don't care if I've seen people who are pastors of church get born again because they were religious. They were thinking about serving God. Paul was a religious person and he gave his whole life to God, but he wasn't serving the right God. He was going to hell and he had to get born again. I don't care if you've been religious your whole life. If you have never put your faith in Jesus, you need to make Jesus your Lord tonight and receive salvation. And then if you've been born again, every person should receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because I use the word baptism, some people think this is talking about water baptism. And they think, oh, I was christened when I was a baby or something. I'm not talking about that. There is a water baptism where you get dunked in water, but then there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And this was after he had been baptized in water. There are actually multiple baptisms spoken of in the Bible, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And Jesus said, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit came upon these people, they begin to speak with tongues. And these people who had been timid and shy and denied that they even knew Jesus, all of a sudden became so bold that they just stood up boldly and the people who crucified Jesus took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. I tell you, it changed their life. And these men turned the world right side up because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it just, it changed me more than salvation did outwardly. 
Inwardly, I was changed at salvation, but the Holy Spirit is to give you the power to release this salvation through your mind and through your body. And my life changed more through the baptism of the Holy Spirit outwardly than it did through being born again. And they were two separate experiences. I got born again when I was eight and I got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 18. And I tell you, my life transformed. And speaking in tongues is an important part of it. And I know that there's many people in here that are saying, well, we don't believe in speaking in tongues in my church. That's the reason I'm not in your church. And there's some of you that have seen me on TV and you hear testimonies about my son being healed, about Carly's daughter being healed and, and Caroline and all of these things. And you hear testimonies of, and you want that. And I'm telling you what caused it. I'm telling you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit revolutionized my life. If I hadn't have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you'd have never seen me on TV. I can guarantee you that. And I'm telling you what caused that and now you're sitting there and disbelieving because that's not what you've been taught. Man, if you like the fruit, you're going to have to accept that this is the root that produced it. And I'm telling you, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Somebody says, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, I am. I'm absolutely convinced about it. And so if you aren't sure, you ought to take the opinion of somebody who is sure. Amen. Somebody's thinking, so are you saying that you've got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues or you aren't going to heaven? No, you can go to heaven without the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and you can get there quicker if you don't receive it (laughs) because you're going to die early. You aren't going to be healed of something, but you get power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Somebody's thinking, well, I don't believe everybody has to speak in tongues. I don't believe you have to speak in tongues either. I'm not speaking in tongues right now. (laughs) And I've got the Holy Spirit. I don't believe you have to speak in tongues. You don't have to. You get to. It is a tremendous blessing. (laughs) Well, does everybody get the Holy Spirit? Well, it's like a pair of tennis shoes. They all come with tongues. I guess you could cut the tongues out of your tennis shoes and wear them that way, but why would you? What's the point? No, you don't have to speak in tongues, but I'm telling you, it's just like flipping a switch. It turns on the power of God. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. Is there anybody in here who'd say, I either need to make Jesus my Lord and be born again and or... I need to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand wherever you are so that I can pray with you. Man, there's people all over the place. Praise God. Just be bold and raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Man, that's awesome. That's powerful. You know, here's what I'd like to ask you to do. I'd like to ask you if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, (laughs) would you just get up out of your seat and come right down here and we want to pray with you and help you to receive right now. Just come right down here. Thank you, Jesus. Man, let's praise God for these. Isn't this awesome? Thank you, Father. 
Praise God. We got people coming down from the balcony, so it might take just a little bit of time. I know some people are thinking, well, I don't have to go down there to receive. No, you don't. But you know, faith without works is dead. It's important that you do something. And, and this isn't much to ask, that you just come down here and let me pray with you. Plus, I've got a book that explains what true salvation is and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this gift of speaking in tongues. And I'm going to give every person that comes down here this book to help you understand because it'll be more than what you will understand tonight. And you can study this book. It's a free gift. So you know what? You got nothing to lose. Somebody's thinking, well, what if I go down there and nothing happens? Well, I can guarantee you if you don't come down here, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> and some of you think, well, I want to think about it. I don't want you to think about it. Look what you're thinking about it is done. Nothing. You know, if the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, you ought to come down here. The worst thing that could happen is we pray for you and you get a free book and go home with nothing. That would be the very worst thing that could happen. But you know what? You could come down here and pray and open up your heart and receive the second most important thing that will ever happen in your Christian life, and that is receiving the power of the Holy Spirit into your life. Man, that's awesome. This changed me more than anything outwardly, and I believe it's going to do the same thing for you. I think you're going to be stronger than horseradish after tonight. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. And we still got people coming down from the balconies. This is just awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, if you could, we've got some more room over here to my left. You're right if you want to come that way. It'd, you could fill in a little bit better. We want to get you down here at the front if we possibly can. Thank you, Jesus. It's just awesome. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, before I can pray with you to receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, the Bible says Jesus is the one who gives this gift of the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. So if there's any person here who's not absolutely certain that you're born again, you may be one of those that's religious. You might have gone to church. You might have believed that Jesus was the Son of God. But have you ever really made Him your Lord? Is your faith in Him or in yourself? Here, here's a way that you can tell what I'm talking about. If you were to stand before God right now, if we were to die, and if you just all of a sudden were standing before God, and if He says, what makes you worthy? Would you point to yourself and what you've been doing, or would you point to Jesus and say, He's what makes me worthy? If you would have answered that question by saying, well, I'm a good person, and I believe in God, and I go to church, you would have gone to hell because your faith was in you. If you have not put faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I need to pray with you first and you have to receive this salvation before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have to be born again first. Is there anybody down here 
who wants to pray with me first and receive salvation, make Jesus your Lord before we pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's raise your hand if that's you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Three, four, five. Others? Amen. That's over a dozen people. Man, I pray that all of you here that need to pray this prayer are, have raised your hand because this is going to change you. But I'd like to, I want to lead you in a prayer. You don't have to say the exact words that I'm saying, but I'm going to pray a prayer that's based on that verse I quoted in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And if you will repeat this prayer after me and mean it in your heart, it's not magic, you have to believe it, but if you will mean it in your heart, then the Bible says you will be saved. It's that simple. Jesus has already paid for your sins. It's just a matter of are you going to receive. It's not a question of will God give you salvation? No, He's already provided it. Will you receive it by making Jesus your Lord? So I want you to pray this prayer with me, and I'd like to ask everybody in here to pray this with me so that they won't feel like we're just listening to them. So let's say this. Say, Father, Father I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. I believe that you are alive from the dead. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. Right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You believe that? You believe that, brother? Awesome. Hallelujah. You know, you may not have felt a thing, but according to the Bible, you just became a brand new person. You're still a man or a woman. You're still tall or short. But you know what? On the inside, you're a brand new creature. And according to the scripture, there's twice in 1 Corinthians that it says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So now every person down here has prayed a similar type of prayer and have received Jesus. And according to scripture, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is really important because this means God created you to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. This is what you were created for. There's no way that God wouldn't give you the Holy Spirit. It's what He made you for. He wants you to have His Holy Spirit more than you want to have Him. He said this in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Jesus said, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He doesn't force the Holy Spirit on you. You have to ask. So what we're going to do, I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer and we're going to open up the doors of this temple. We're going to open up our heart and say, God, we are asking. We want your power to come live on the inside of us. And I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer where I pray for that. And then I'm going to loose the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says with your words, you can speak life over people. So I'm going to speak and release the power of the Holy Spirit to come into you and I want you to open up your heart and just believe. And then after we do that, I want you to quit asking. There's a time to ask and then there's a time to believe that if you asked, he said he'd give it to you. And I want you to start thanking him and saying, Father, thank you. I want you to do it out loud 
and say, Father, thank you that I now have the Holy Spirit and this ability to speak in tongues. And I want you to start thanking God. And at that time, after I pray for you, when we start thanking God, I want you to put your hands in the air because the Bible says that when you lift up your hands in the sanctuary, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you just go, God, I surrender. And it blesses him. It's just a sign of surrender. And so we're going to pray. I'm going to release the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to lift your hands and start thanking God that you do have the Holy Spirit. And then I want to ask every person in here that has the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaks in tongues to just start worshiping the Lord in their prayer language with me. And as we start speaking in tongues, I don't want anybody to dominate this assembly and do that. The scripture says that we aren't supposed to do that. But I'm just talking about you praying personally between you and the Lord. And as we worship the Lord and speak in tongues, I want you to quit thanking Him in English and just switch over to speaking in tongues. Because the Bible says that when you speak in tongues, you are giving thanks well to God. You're praising Him in a heavenly language. And anyway, I've got a million things I'd like to say about that, but that's why I wrote this book. (laughs) Let me just give you one piece of advice and then we're going to pray. But the number one thing that hindered me, and I think it hinders most people from speaking in tongues, is they think that the Lord is going to force you to do it. Just take control of you and you can't control it. It just comes out kind of like, my wife hates me to use this example, but like when you throw up, you just put your hand over your mouth and you can't help it. Here it comes. That's not how speaking in tongues is. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 verse 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He will not take control of you and make you talk in tongues. You have to speak by faith and believe that the Holy Spirit is inspiring it. It's like when I spoke tonight. I believe that God spoke through me. But if I would have just prayed and said, oh God, speak through me, don't let me talk, but let the Holy Spirit speak through me. And then I just open up my mouth and wait on him to make it talk, nothing would have happened. We'd still be looking at each other. I spoke. It was me talking. That's the reason it came out in Texan. That's the reason it came out in my sense of humor. It was me talking, but I believe it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's the way speaking in tongues is. It's you talking, and some people just sit there and wait on the Holy Spirit to make you talk. That's not how it works. You have to speak and believe it's the Holy Spirit. And anyway, I've got all of this written in a book, and I know many of you are thinking, well, that might just be me. Well, you could sit there and think that it was only me talking tonight, but I believe it was the Holy Spirit. It's a step of faith. And this is why speaking in tongues is so important. Because when you speak in tongues, it makes no sense to your brain. It's foolishness. It's silly. And you've spent your whole life trying to be intellectual and smart. And when you speak in tongues, it is stupid. And it just takes faith to speak in tongues, it pushes you to another level of faith that you can't get any other way. The Bible says in Jude chapter 1, verse 20, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. That's talking about speaking in tongues. And the reason it's so powerful is because it is a step of faith. So that's what we're going to do. And if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. Amen. Everybody understand what we're going to do?
The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you for those who prayed and received salvation tonight. We thank you that they were changed and that we are all now the temple of the Holy Spirit and that you want to fill us. So we just open up the doors of our temple. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come into our life and fill us. We want your power. We want this power that Jesus spoke about flowing in us, that it's not us, but it's Christ living in us. So Father, we open up our heart right now to receive the Holy Spirit. From one end of this group to the other, right now I just release the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and fill and control every single person in here right now. We loose you, Holy Spirit, to come into our life, to fill us, to give us this power, to give us this ability to pray in an unknown tongue and all of the other gifts of the Holy Spirit. Father, we just draw on your power right now and stand on that promise that if we ask, you give. So we release this power right now into every person in the name of Jesus. Now let's put your hands up. I want you to go to thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. Out loud, talk out loud and just thank him. Father, thank you that your word's true and that I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that I am God-possessed. Now those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's just begin to worship the Lord right now and pray in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, I want you to speak with us. And you know, I'm going to do something that really is not the way it's supposed to be done. The Bible says you aren't supposed to pray in tongues unless there's an interpreter. And so normally I wouldn't do this, but just so that you can pray in tongues with me, if you don't know what to say, you can try and say what I'm saying, but your tongue will be different than mine. It'll be unique to you. And and if you try and say what I'm saying and it comes out different, just keep talking. Amen. Just keep going. When it comes out different, don't quit. Let's everybody just pray in tongues and worship the Lord right now. Father, we thank you. Hallelujah. Just be bold and talk right now. You can't pray in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to open your mouth and you got to talk. Don't talk in any known language. Whether it's English or any other language, don't talk in a known language. Just pray right now. Don't worry about what it sounds like. When a little baby first talks, it doesn't sound like English, but that father knows what that baby is saying. Your heavenly father's listening to your heart. Doesn't matter what the sounds are. He's hearing your heart. You're bypassing the doubt and the unbelief that's in your brain. And you're praying out of your spirit right now. I've actually heard a language before that's nothing but clicks of the tongues. There's one language that's nothing but whistles. And it's a language. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. God's listening to your heart. Just speak forth right now. Talk in the name of Jesus. 
Hallelujah. Boy, many of these people are speaking in tongues. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. The Bible says when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks to God. You're praising Him in a heavenly language. You're bypassing your limitations. There's no doubt. There's no fear in it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, I tell you, the power of God's flowing down here and touching people's lives. And God's filling you. This is more important than you realize. It's more powerful than you realize. Hallelujah. You know, let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I got some things I need to say to you. Praise the Lord. You know what? Whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because He promised that He would. Amen. The first time that I prayed and asked God to give me the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues. It took me three and a half years after I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit before I spoke in tongues. But that was because I was a Baptist. And I had been taught that this was of the devil. And I was so afraid that it was going to be me and it just hindered me. But I kept at it I studied the Word, and now I pray in tongues just about every day of my life. I pray in tongues a lot. So I've written in a book all of this. For those of you who got born again, it'll explain what true salvation is, and it will explain what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It will go into Scriptures. It'll show you about speaking in tongues, and it'll tell you about all of the hindrances that I had speaking in tongues and how I overcame them. And I've had thousands of people who came forward just like this that didn't speak right here, but after they read the book and got their questions answered, they were able to go ahead and speak in tongues, and it just changes their life. So I want to give every one of you one of these books. It's a free gift, and it would really, really help you. So where do we have the books? Are they where? All right, on the sides. They're back here on both sides. If you will go back towards the outside right here. They've got these books and they're going to hand them out to you as you go back to your seat. And I encourage you to please read the book because what you've experienced here tonight is much more than what any of you have felt or understood. You need to get the understanding of this. So praise God. Please read the book. Praise God. Thank you for coming. Amen. Man, I believe this is going to change this Philly area. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Man, that's awesome. You know, the day of Pentecost, there was only 120 people that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit first, and that just grew and multiplied, and now it's gone all over the world. The people who speak in tongues are the fastest growing part of the body of Christ by far all over the world. And uh, man, it's exciting to see this happening. So if it 
started with 120. We had more than that here tonight. Man, this could grow to be something that is just absolutely awesome. Amen. Praise God. So as you go back, I want you to get this book. And then we have all of our prayer ministers that are going to come down here and stand across the front. And like I said at the beginning, I know that there are some of you that came here believing God for a miracle. And if you've understood what I was talking about tonight, you have this power on the inside of you. And we can agree with you, but this ministry is not like some others. It's, I'm not saying that there aren't people that have special anointings, but I'm not one of them. I just pray for people like a believer. And these people down here, We've trained them and they are seeing awesome miracles. They're seeing blind eyes open, deaf ears open on a regular basis and they are very capable. So what I want to do is invite these prayer ministers to come stand here across the front and we're going to give you an opportunity to come down here and if you need prayer for healing or for anything else, these prayer ministers are here to agree with you and help you to receive. Amen. So I'd like to have them spread out. We need some down this way. And if you need prayer, please come down here and receive. I'm going to be praying with people. Last night, I don't always do this, but last night as we begin to pray, I started praying and man, the power of God started flowing. I called out gifts of healings and we had probably five or 600 people who saw instant manifestation of healing in the service last night. So you are welcome to stay and pray with us and we're going to pray and operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and I believe God's going to set people free. But if you need to go, you're certainly free to go. Remember that we have books, CDs, and all of those things out there. We also have that army desk. If you would like to become a member of the Association of Related Ministries International, and we also have the desk about the continuing education for ministers. So please don't forget those things. Thanks for coming and praise God. I believe we're going to be back in Philly someday. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. So Father, we just agree with all of these people who are coming forward. And Father, we believe that by your stripes, by the stripes of Jesus, Every person has already been healed. Father, we believe you've already done it. We do not have to beg you or plead with you to get somebody healed. Thank you that they are already healed. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just stand on your word and we lay hands on them and we release this supernatural healing power of God. Satan, we take authority over you against all of the demonic things, against sickness and disease, and we cast you out. We command you to leave these people right now and be gone off of them in the name of Jesus. We command deafness to leave right now. There's people here that have been struggling with hardness of hearing. Since we don't have an interpreter for the deaf, I'm assuming you can hear something, but there's people here that have problems with your hearing. It could be ringing in the ears, all kinds of things. Here's an anointing of God right now flowing and God is healing you and opening up your ears. We command this partial deafness to be gone. We command the ringing in the ears to be gone. 
Somebody's got nerve deafness. You've had it diagnosed and you've got nerve deafness. Here's the healing power of God, healing your ear. I command that nerve to come back to life. Here now, ears open, deafness, you be gone now. Boy, here's the anointing of God setting you free right here. Father, we agree and we receive this miraculous power. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Somebody here has had a lot of problems breathing. You can't take a deep breath. There could be a lot of things. Emphysema, COPD, bronchitis. I don't know. Whatever it is, it causes you to not be able to breathe deeply. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I loose you from that in Jesus' name. We command this restriction on their breathing to be gone in Jesus' name. And Father, any damage done to these lungs, I thank you that you minister healing, that any scar tissue or anything like that is gone right now. That Father, they're able to breathe. Breathe clearly now in the name of Jesus. If that's you, I want you to take a deep breath and begin to start exercising your faith. Here's the healing power of God coming to you right now. You're able to breathe without any of that restriction. Thank you, Jesus. We just agree and we receive this power right now. You know, there's lots of people, I believe, that are receiving this healing for your lungs. If this is you, if you've already seen the healing power of God, if you can tell the difference, wave at me. Here's a lady just waving. She's healed. Amen. You can tell the difference. Praise the Lord. How about you? Can you tell a difference? Anybody? Here's another brother. Anybody else that's, that's healed, you can tell a difference in your breathing. Here's somebody way up here in the balcony. Praise God. Awesome. Anybody else? Can you tell a difference with your breathing? Awesome. Father, we thank you. Man, isn't that awesome? Who was, what was the first, who had uh, partial hearing problems? And you can tell a difference in your hearing already. Maybe ringing in the ears or something like that. If you've had a problem and you can tell the difference, wave at me. Here's a man up here in the balcony. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Anybody else? Here's somebody back here waving just frantically. Amen. Praise the Lord. Here's another one right here. Praise God. Isn't this awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we receive this. You know, somebody here's got a burning in your scalp. I don't know what this is. I don't think I've ever heard of this, but you've got a burning in your scalp and it goes down the back of your head, a stinging or a burning. And here's God ministering a healing to you. Who is that? If that's you, I want you to wave at me. If you've got a stinging or a burning in your scalp, right here's a lady. Anybody else? Here's a man back here. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Am I missing you? All right, we're going to pray for these right now. Father, I thank you that in the name of Jesus, whatever causes this problem in their scalp, down the back of their head, I command that stinging and burning to be gone now in the name of Jesus. Father, I just loose them from this and I speak your healing over them. 
that this is over from this moment on and they recover. Whatever caused this is gone out of their body right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I believe you're healed. You got any different? Can you tell a difference? Awesome. You know, also, I don't know if this was the same thing or if this is something separate, but somebody's got shingles, which is a burning or a stinging. That could be any place on your body. Who in this, who in here has shingles? Here's the person up here in the balcony. Anybody else? If you got shingles right now, I want you to stand and wave at me so I can see who this is. Anybody else? There's a person up in the balcony. Anybody else? Somebody else? I can't see you, but I believe you're here. Oh, right here you are. <laughs> Praise God. Anybody else? Anybody else? I want to see who it is I'm praying for. If you've got shingles, I want you to stand and wave at me so I can see who it is. Father, I pray for these right now in the name of Jesus, and we just rebuke this shingles. Whatever causes this, we know it's the devil, and we command those shingles to stop now in Jesus' name. We curse you and command you to get out of their body now, over, in the name of Jesus. And Father, I loose this anointing to flow through their body. And I believe that you are repairing the damage that shingles has done, that all of the burning, the stinging, the pain is gone. Father, we just thank you. And I believe that this anointing is flowing through their body right now. And that this is over gone. And from this moment on, they recover. Father, we thank you. And we receive that in the name of Jesus, healed by the stripes of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Man, there's all kinds of healings of joints, things, backs, knees, hips. There's all kinds of healings going on right now. Father, I just thank you. I loose this anointing for all of these joints. Arthritis. Man, God is setting people free from arthritis right now. I curse arthritis. I command it to get out of this place. All arthritis leave this place right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Be gone out of these people. We break your power and command you to loose them and to let them go now in Jesus' name. And now, Father, I believe that the swelling of the joints, any uh, calcium deposits, any stiffness, any pain, we believe that those things are just gone. That your healing flows through every person right now. And that, Father, they are able to move and bend and do things that they couldn't do. Right now, I want you to begin to do what you couldn't do. If you didn't feel like standing, bending over, moving something, begin to move it right now. Do what you didn't feel like doing. And here's the healing power of God flowing. And I believe you're being healed of this arthritis right now. Praise God. And lots of people, lots of people are being set free from all of that pain, all that discomfort right now. If you, you know, I know that every person, I believe every person in here is receiving. But if you've already seen the deliverance of this, if your pain is gone and if your body is now able to move, I want you to wave at me so that I can see who already has had their pain leave. Praise the Lord. Man, this is dozens of people right here, dozens of you. 
And you know, everyone else, even if your pain hasn't left, Jesus spoke to the fig tree and it was 24 hours later before what he said was visible in the natural. But the moment he spoke, it was a done deal. And I believe that same thing has happened for every one of you. I believe that arthritis is gone and now your body is going to start recovering. So you need to get arthritis out of your thinking. Quit planning your day around arthritis. Quit anticipating it. Don't go restock your supply of painkillers. Man, expect to be normal. Start resisting this and believe that it's broken over you right now and that you are going to see the manifestation of it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just agree and we receive that in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you. I believe that all of these people are being healed right now by the stripes of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Man, there's people here that have had a lot of teeth problems. You got gum disease and things. Your teeth are falling out. All, you just had multiple teeth problems. I believe that there's an anointing of God right now and that your teeth are being healed. I command that gum disease to stop. We command that to be gone out of you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Father, I believe that it's over and whatever damage is done to their teeth, we thank you for a restoration, for a miracle. Father, we thank you for filling teeth. We thank you, Father, for just doing a miracle in people's mouths and their teeth being healed right now. Command the pain to be gone. Command all kinds of problems in their mouth to be gone. And Father, I release your healing and believe that they are healed right now by the stripes of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Awesome. Well, I believe God's doing a lot of miracles. You know, when you receive what I was talking about tonight and you begin to put your faith in Jesus, Christ all of a sudden starts becoming of an effect. He starts releasing his power because now you aren't the one standing in the way. You're doing it because of who Jesus is. And man, every time you will start seeing great miracles because people's faith is now freed from themselves and they're looking to Jesus. That's awesome. Thank you, Father. Father, we just thank you for being here tonight. We thank you for being with us. Thank you for the truth. I believe that the truth has set people free. Father, thank you that people's lives are changed. That, Father, not only are bodies being healed, but emotions are being healed. People are coming out from under all of the legalism and the condemnation. Father, we just thank you that tonight is a change, a turning point in people's lives where they are going to start relating to you based on who they are in the spirit, on what Jesus has done and not what they are doing for you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. We thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people just like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. You can call our helpline at 719-635-1111. 
Or you can write us at Post Office Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Remember, you can always listen to Andrew's messages at awmi.net. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.